Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today, I'm welcoming back Seki Taba Suarez to the show and we are looking at how to plan an improv session. Now, when we recorded this, it was a bit different to normal. We didn't get together on Zoom because... Seki and I actually share a house together. I just got my phone out, used um, the great app I've got for recording on there, and that explains why the the sound is a little bit different to normal. It's still great quality. It just sounds a little bit different, I think. But the main thing I'm telling you this for is because we recorded this interview one day. We were just sat there. We had the phone out. We were just chilling, and it was a really great chat. We were really pleased. We were like, yeah, that, that's really great. But... About 25 minutes into that chat, we had to pause it because I needed to go to the toilet. And I thought, great, normally if I'm doing a podcast interview and I feel like this, I have to just sort of do my best to stick it out, wait till the conversation's done and um, the Zoom things finish and I can run off to the toilet. But I thought, oh, great, just in my house, I can just pause, go to the toilet, come back. It's like nothing will have, have happened. So that's what I did. Came back, unpaused it, carried on the interview. And then, for whatever reason, the app I was using completely destroyed the audio file from the moment that I paused. So we just sounded like Daleks. Now, I know there's some Doctor Who fans listening that might well have enjoyed us sounding like Daleks for the rest of the chat. But unfortunately, it was unsalvageable. I even reached out to the really techie people to try and help me with it. And they just said, look, this is completely corrupted. There's nothing you can do to get this back. So uh, the next day, we came back to it and we just picked up the conversation as best we could um we still had a great conversation um whether the one that we did second is as good as the one we did first uh, you'll never know because you'll only hear the one that we have available to you today uh, but that's what we're doing we're looking at planning an improv session and it was a really fun chat you know second and i we love improv we talk about improv all the time we do various improv things all the time and we're both very passionate about it so it was nice to actually just sit down and just really have this focused conversation and I hope that you enjoy listening in it's like being a fly on the wall in our house so this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts Spotify iHeartRadio Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts we're even available on Amazon Podcasts which means you can ask Alexa to play the show if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. Now it's time to go off script and find out all things planning and improv session with Sekitabas Wereds. Please welcome to the show this week's guest. She's a returning guest. She's been on the show a few times before. You may well know her as an Oika. You may well know her as a regular at LCI. You may know her as one of the founders of Glossop Improv and one of the founders of Flincher Funnybone Improv. Please welcome Seki. Hey, thanks for having me again, Ian. I'm, I'm really glad to be back. I could have just said, uh, please welcome my girlfriend, Seki, as well, because <laughs> lots of people will know you as that. Yeah. Oh, and you missed one. Just the other week, I started something called Stand Tall Improv, and it's for a completely different age group. I'm happy to report that I have now run sessions for teenagers from the ages of 12 to 16 in North Wales, and it was a lovely first session. 
Yeah, I can attest to that because I was there. Uh, and we can get on to sort of your process when you were planning that first session because we're going to be discussing how do you actually plan an improv session? We're going to look at sort of who are you catering for? What type of session is it? Is it a general drop-in where anyone could be there? Is it a very set sort of thing where it's going to be a specific group of people of a particular level of improv, or maybe it's going to be a bit of a course, you're going to work with the same people, because depending on what type of class it is, it needs a different type of prep. Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, who are the people who are coming to the session? That is perhaps the most crucial question to begin with, because who are they? What do they want to take away from the session? What do they need in order to get to their goal? which is why they've shown up for the session. And you can only plan a really good session if you ask that first. Yeah. So let's let's talk about, first of all, just like a general drop-in because I think it's fair to say that's what we have the most experience in, sort of sessions where there's going to be a mixture of experienced improvisers, mm. not-so-experienced improvisers, and often a completely new person to improv and I think in those sessions it's always important that you go into it always knowing that you're gonna potentially have to explain everything why you're doing what you're doing how it all links together you know what is what is the main objective of what you're doing Mm. if you turn up and the people that arrive are all sort of seasoned pros and, you know, they come regularly and there doesn't happen to be any new people or some of the newer people there for that session, then you can change it on the fly. You don't need to go into the detail. But I think I think if there are newer people there, those that are regulars or old hands at it, I don't think they mind that things get broken down because everyone was a new person at some point And I think everyone sort of can help take the mantle of, of the teacher and whoever's leading the session can explain things, but then it, it's it's the job of the the old hands to sort of step in and be the examples in the games and things. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. There's This is based on a lot of our very recent experiences when we started Flincher Funny Bone Improv because when we ran our first session, we had a proper mix of veterans who've been improvising for 15 years, 10 years, things like that. And uh, they were completely new, new to the, new to the craft uh, participants uh, in that first evening. So yeah, if you anticipate a mix like that, it's amazing what you can sort of anticipate and work towards uh, with the dynamic between the group participants you can riff off of the veterans ease with the way they do a scene at the same time uh for the newbies it's it's excellent you get dropped in the deep end but it's beautifully acclimatized like a wonderful atmosphere you find yourself in i've seen newbies just take to it you know when they see a scene they see the the old hands do it and then they do they, they see how a scene gets run or how a game gets participated in by a really nice healthy 
um, comfortable and and confident group of people, and then they see it, and then they just they just take off like that. Yeah. Uh, and and that that's that's a nice thing to see, isn't it? And there still needs to be that mix of of how it's explained because some people learn from doing, some people learn from listening to it being explained to them, and you may get some people that watch other improvisers do something. They give the example scene and they watch it and they think, "Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing because I've seen that." And then they'll get into the scene and then they've completely missed the point. They don't understand the game of the scene or something like that. And then that'll need a bit of side coaching. But often, if you go into it with the explanation, particularly for complete newbies, break the game down, sort of explain it all in as Mm. much detail as you can without sort of without being too boring about it, <laughs> and then show the example. Sometimes it does need both of those things before it clicks. Mm. Not just, here's an explanation, go and do it, or watch what they're doing and then go and do it. You need a bit of the both, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's something to be said for that. On the other hand, of course, uh, there will be some some class situations where if fine-tuning is to be is to be used um if there needs to be some things that have to be um just a given from the get-go and time is of the essence you're fine-tuning a particular skill uh you all as a group need to to sort of hone in on one particular part yeah you can then dedicate a class to a certain perhaps skill set level where yeah we we understand these concepts now but we need to practice 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 the skill of let's say justifying or the skill of escalating or the skill of finding the game of the scene things like that there are groups for this and if that is the goal uh, and expectations are set then yeah that's a good class for you a drop-in however for communities like the ones you and I started and before that when I started gossip improv with Jess um there is there is a certain way where you you approach something a certain way and that's exactly how you described it a mix of everybody and a generosity for the newcomers and um a way to make it very valid and very res- rewarding for the for the for the veterans as well and there is a way and that way is always establishing that one thematic concept that's going to be laced through all the games that you're going to play all the activities that will happen in that in that uh, session yeah and there's there's lots of things that i learned from lci mm. during during that pandemic period where you know, I was just doing things with Emma all the time, it seemed. And it was great mm. because I was just completely immersed in this improv world and I was learning so much. And I think one of the main things I learned, because, you know, I've been teaching for a long time. I've been involved in, in teaching, mm. um, particularly as a primary school teacher, where you, you dip your toe into teaching all sorts of things. Whether you know anything about it or not, you have to go into it and confidently do it. Mm. Uh, but one of the things I think I learned most about how an improv class should run was that Emma always freshened things up 
there may well be games that we really loved, like Phraseology, for example. I love that game. <laughs> but she would make sure that we didn't play that game all the time. She'd drop it in here and she'd drop it in there. And that way, it never got stale, it never got boring. And there would be times when we'd turn up to these sessions and Emma would have a very clear plan. She'd say, right, this is what we're focusing on today. And then right from the beginning, the introduction would lead into the early games and then into the bigger games. And it's all set around a theme. And then other times you'd turn up and she'd be like, oh, we just got to play to play today. Uh, anyone got any suggestions for games? And I think there's a good there's a good bit of that as well. So it kind of depends on the situation you're in. So in that situation, obviously, there was there was no going out and socialising. Improv was, for many, the way that we were being social. So it was great to have that mixture of, yeah, sometimes we're learning and we're focusing and sometimes we're just having fun. But I think that, in general, works for any sort of improv session that that's going to be run especially if it's just a drop-in session yeah yeah so uh, in uh, in the past then uh, when we have come together and uh, prepared a session uh, can you recall along with me certain themes that you and i have sort of uh, designed our session around what comes to mind hmm. i think you're generally better at the theme you come up with a theme uh, like justification you'll say oh let's do a session on justification and then we'll sort of br- uh, brainstorm and then you're brilliant at coming up with all the games that <laughs> <laughs> that require justification and or sort of um nurtures the mind's ability to justify in order to have a lot more fun in the game and i need to stress this of course it's the fun the justification is what makes the game fun and it's not anything to do with let's say winning the game or doing well in the game per se it's more of did we all have fun was that fun did we all click uh was there teamwork involved was was the scene fully realized was it 3d was it amazing and creative and imaginative oh it yes and that happened because we justified and we made it work as a group so uh uh interwoven into the theme would be did it work as a group to to have the game have fun during the game if it did, and then that's because of justification. Sort of, that's that's my approach. Because then they will come to sort of, they, they will associate that that thing that clicked with, ah, that's because we justified things. And this is what we did. And we can really pinpoint the moment when it was a, a golden moment for the whole group. And then you can say, ah, oh, yeah, there you go. See, that's that's justification. We, we did so, we we did that. We did that because we justified. Yeah. And I think going into any sort of situation where you're taking on that role of a leader or a teacher of any kind, there has to be a certain element of reading the room. So you may go into a session. And so, for example, when we go to our Flincher Funny Bone sessions, we, we plan the sessions out. We don't necessarily 
go into it with like a teacher mindset, like not the way no. I, I go into it planning my sessions for the children in school. Not at all. We go into it with an idea of what we want. And then you kind of have to read the room as to know how much input do you need to give to this session? How much does that individual need you to step in and, and say, oh, actually, this is this is how this should go. So, yeah, there does need to be a lot of reading the room well, seeing who needs that extra bit of coaching, who needs things to be explained in more detail. Um, it's also how how the explanation is given or indeed how the relationship between teacher and student versus uh, improviser running a session with the improviser participant it changes doesn't it oh yeah it it, it, it the dynamic really really changes um with stantall improv i am definitely the teacher in it and i incorporate improv into life lessons like how to be confident and how to deal with situations that require you to think on your feet but with other improvisers it's more like hey here's the activity this is what we get out of it now let's do it and then sometimes a rule will need to be sort of um sort of reiterated or or adjusted and that that means this uh, the, these terms right coaching feedback that's really just to do with the game itself with the activity and does not does not mean anything outside of that yeah i think you have to trust in the opinions of the people that are running whatever it is you're attending so we both attended many classes run by various different people and in those classes, there's been really experienced improvisers that we have attended their classes or we know that they teach classes and run sessions. And, you know, I've run sessions. I remember my very first session that I ran, it was a gloss up improv session, mm, yeah. an online session. And you've mm. given me the opportunity to sort of have a go at running a session. And I'd come up with an idea of running a session that focused on feeling comfortable in mm. scenes where you didn't know the references because that was something that I picked up on. I was like, there's so many people that worry about, oh, I don't know who that celebrity is. Oh, I don't watch films. I don't I don't know what that film mm. is. And I came up with this, this sort of lesson plan that focused on being okay in that situation because there's just been so many times when, whether it's with the Oikers, whether it's in an LCI drop-in, whether it was in, in gossip sessions, where people would be very quick to shout, oh, I don't I don't know, I don't know, and they sort of panic. And then that could sort of ruin any potential magic that was about to happen mm. in a scene. And I remember doing that session, and I planned it all out, and I was feeling, I was feeling confident about it going into it. But at the same time, there was... Uh, a bit of apprehension because it was the first time I was running uh, an improv session and it was still sort of in the online improv uh, time and people had come along specifically because they liked mm. the idea of what that class was about and there were some really experienced improvisers 
coming along. And like part of me was like, oh, wow, I really need to <laughs> to make sure I know my stuff here because <laughs> I was sort of a bit more nervous when I saw who was coming in. But then the other side of that was I was like, wow, that's so cool because some of these are really good improvisers and they're seeing that there's an element of something that they can perhaps improve on and they're trusting in the fact that that's what they're going to get from me. Yeah, yeah. Well, certain improviser teachers uh, do precisely that for other people. They offer that skill where, yeah, the pop culture reference is not going to be there for everybody. That's a given. I mean, the improv community is made up of people from different, different, different cultures. Um, so I remember experiencing a, 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 an improv session a course that Chris Mead ran and it was to do with sort of transposing one very normal, regular, modern thing that, that you know. All you have to do is kind of remap that, put that somewhere else, like uh, impose it on uh, a medieval scene where a man is trying to buy a horse from another man and that's what you're doing. You're kind of transposing one very familiar scene to another with hilarious effects and so that's that that happens anyway all the time in improv and makes makes scenes very very nuanced so that's that's a good thing that's a good skill to learn and you gave a a form of that when you ran that session on how to deal with pop culture references so it, it that's to a lot of improvisers that is a good way to deal with a pop culture reference issue yeah and i think also in scenes whether it's a short form scene, a long form scene, you'll see if if the if you're in a scene with someone and you think, oh, they're struggling, they don't know what that is, then it sort of becomes the extra challenge to help them through the scene. Well, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, and there's so many there's so many ways around it, and like you say, teamwork, uh, uh, helping the scene partner along really helps. You're not dubbing them in it and just going, oh, I hope you get this obscure uh, sci-fi or or hollywood reference or something like that it it what well, shouldn't be like that anyway this is supposed to be a scene where you work together um when you said earlier that it really matters how the teacher uh, gives feedback and stuff i i learned a lot of really good laid back um techniques from Jess Naptine Hodgkinson because I watched her run gossip improv sessions and two things about her. She comes prepared. She always has a plan for the class, give or take certain activities. And she never strong arms anyone into saying, oh, this is what's supposed to happen in your scene. Or you could have done it like this. No, Jess is the ultimate uh, uh, person who can explore that reality you've created she 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 kind of jumps in and and notices how everyone's different in their own little way and she lets people do that in their scene and that's something that a lot of teachers really need to learn when they run a session it, it requires so much observation and so much well yes ending as a teacher as a facilitator because yeah this person that you are participating this person who is in this lesson that you you sure you're teaching them technique you're teaching them a new activity uh, a, a new uh, bit of 
sort of how to how to use improv uh, moving forward. But this person has their life experience to, to they bring to the table so much of a combination that you yourself don't have or anyone else in the class to be able to see that and help them grow that and put that put that whole experience and apply it to how they do improv i think really good teachers do that and there are teachers who kind of walk all over that and don't see that so there's a certain kind of person yeah looking for i think there are some teachers and some very highly respected teachers that are very much it's my way or the highway. This is my class. You'll come in to get this knowledge from me and this is how I'm going to deliver it. And you're all going to just have to put up with my way of doing things. And I do not apologize for the way that I do things because I've got a proven track record, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I've been improvising for 17, yeah. 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my stuff. Do you? Oh, you've only been doing this one? Oh, a measly five years. <laughs> um, yes, and we've, we've heard stories about that. Yeah, we? because first of all, you could you could have been improvising for twenty years, but it doesn't make you a good improviser. You could you could have had twenty rubbish years of improv. <laughs> Whereas someone could turn up on their first session and you go, oh, that person's got it. They've just instinctively got it because you can't really teach instinct. You can teach people the ins and outs, but that's a different thing anyway. Um, so when it comes to the teaching, teaching has to be going back to that read in the room. So, you know, I've been. I've been in education for 17 years now and I have a certain way with the children, but it evolves and it, it evolves. So each class demands a different sort of version of me as a teacher mm. and each individual in that class needs a different element of me. There are some that'll come to me and I can see, oh, there's, there's a spark or something in there, but it's hidden. And it's the way that I interact with them that will bring it out. But I can't interact with another child the same way. So there are some children that you can build up a good relationship to the point where there's a bit of banter and it's back and forth banter and it's good. Because I, I always think being able to laugh at yourself and being able to bounce things back to someone in a bantery way, I think that's a really good way to sort of um, stop you being bullied because if a bully ever tries to say anything to get at you, um, if you bounce something straight back, it shows that you're not intimidated and they'll move mm. on to another victim. But mm. again, that's something else for another day. Uh, so something I like to do just generally in the classroom is really take the time to get to know the individual. So if little Jimmy responds well to the humor side of things, give them the humor. But then maybe Mary isn't the sort that would take well to sort of jokes from her teacher all day long so you wouldn't give that to mary and that can take time and again it's instinctive but um i think a good teacher or a good facilitator of, of any kind needs to really be able to focus on who's actually in that session okay so i'm just going to explain a little something because we were in mid-flow in the interview and then I needed to pause the recording briefly because I really needed the toilet. And normally I'm recording these things over Zoom, but because Seki and I are in the same house, I'm, I'm doing it on my phone, doing it slightly differently. So I thought, great, I'm going to 
just pause the app that I'm using, run to the toilet, come back as if nothing has changed. And then I unpaused it and we carried on the chat. And we uncovered the secrets of the universe, didn't we? The oh, secret yeah. of life. We of did. Youth. We spoke for a, a, a solid, like, extra 30 minutes on top of what we'd already recorded. Fixed all the problems of the world. Yeah, put, put the world to rights. And when I came to test the audio and listen back to it, I realized that everything after the moment I paused sounded like Daleks. I did my best to fix it. I outsourced it to other people. And basically everyone said, no, you can't fix that audio. It's corrupted from the the moment it was recorded. Um, so we had a really good first bit of the interview, and now we're going to try and recreate the rest of our wonderful chat that we had, talking about uh, planning an improv session. And we're not even on the same day right now. This is a different day. Um, so everything that was in our minds is kind of gone. But it was a great chat. You'll have to take our word for it, and hopefully <laughs> this will be just as good. So I'm going to jump back in by talking about teaching slash facilitating because you're not always necessarily teaching improv in a session and the example i came up with in the conversation we had yesterday was about the oikas so the oikas were a group that formed at lci we did loads of sessions uh, with emma and then she sort of let us fly the nest and we've been doing our own thing for quite a while now and we meet every other week, predominantly online. Uh, but, you know, we're increasing our in-person sessions when we can get together because we're going to be doing more shows and things moving forward. But when we run sessions, we take it in turns and it's generally done um, two people at a time. And they facilitate the session. And we're all improvisers. You know, we're all peers on, on the same level. but. We fully respect the people that are running the, the session, each session. So we listen to each other and we accept feedback and um, pointers and things. But generally, whoever is, is running the session, they're kind of in charge of the way things go. They're going to be the ones calling scene. They're going to be the one um, coming up with um, who's going to be in the scenes together, that sort of thing. So that's just as important as running a session that's going to have new people there as well. Mm -hmm. Being able to facilitate for your team or just for a regular group that you're with and still be at a point where you can jump in and play games, but there is this sort of understanding that, okay, this session is being led by these people so maybe I will hold back on certain things because it's it's not my it's not my day to jump mm. in with pointers but at the same time you're not going to be shot down if you do yeah that's a really nice thing about a group where democracy is actually it's actually important and uh, we're in a group that is so intuitive about sharing everything from opinions to uh, 
the spotlight, if you will. There's this extra care to make sure that everyone's everyone's heard. And that's especially that's something about the orders I definitely, definitely appreciate because every single one of us has that heightened uh sense of just sharing everything. And so it's it's just true democracy of a group. And it's such a delight to be part of part of uh, a troop like this. We truly make everything a production of every single person working together. So it's like a really good cooperative venture together. Yeah, and in terms of running sessions, facilitating sessions, I think when you are in that position like play to the strengths if you've got regulars and you know certain certain people are particularly good at this thing or that thing and then you've got newer people coming along then you will use i've spoken in fact i've spoken with with emma about this as well mm-hmm. you will specifically choose the ones that you know will set a good example oh i've got some new people here i want to do this type of game i know that i've got seki here seki is particularly good at that type of game. I'm going to choose Seki. I'm going to going to put her in there, and that is going to hopefully set a good example of how to play this type of game. Mm, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, because it's it's all about really getting to know people, their styles, their techniques, what they love to do, and what they'd like to leave alone, as it were. Because there's so many kinds of improv games, right? Some play to your ability. To do wordplay, some play uh, to your to your ability at uh, miming object work. Uh, there are some orcas who prefer some over others, and all another aspect of it is some want to get better at the things that they feel they want to improve upon, and others want to leave it alone. They're fine to just keep you know play to their strengths and. Knowing things like that when you facilitate a game with your friends and peers, co-improvisers, that's key to running a successful session. Because we probably have discussed it in the first half of this podcast, but (laughs) it's all about reading the room, isn't it, Ian? It is. Read the room, and that includes know what people are comfortable with and what they're not. And with folks like Emma Bird, who will more often than not meet new people in drop-in sessions that takes skill to to make sure you are inclusive you are secure you're a safe space for people coming in with with very with very limited exposure to improv and at the same time uh knowing some people more than others and and adjusting accordingly basically you know according to the group uh what what the group is made up of. Yeah, and something else as well is knowing what people are good at, knowing their strengths is really good and playing to their strengths, but equally knowing what people could perhaps improve on and knowing when it's okay to push them into playing different roles in games. Mm. Like phraseology, for example. I love playing phraseology and I particularly enjoy being that person in the middle justifying everything. But every now and again, I think it, it, it's great when I play the game if I'm actually playing the other role. Yeah. And something uh, we've been 
catching up on some of the newer Who's Line, uh, Who's Lines Anyway episodes recently, and some of the games have shocked us because certain certain players on the show that have always done particular games have all of a sudden started switching games and switching roles, and I'm like, well, what an easy way to keep it fresh. Yeah. They're just doing the same games they've done for years, but oh, all of a sudden, Ryan isn't doing that game with Colin. Mm. He's sitting out and, and Greg's doing that game with Colin and little things like that. Um, and knowing, oh yeah, I think that person is ready to to try this other role. Yeah, they're really good at that one and they know that and if there was a show coming up, I'd probably choose them for that. But it's great to use these sessions to build on the other elements of the game. Mm. This is the point of the conversation where I'll reach out to you, the listener of the podcast, uh, maybe you're listening because you're thinking, I want to facilitate my own improv sessions. Uh, what what do I do about this? There's always going to be a mix. Newcomers, uh, uh, shy people who need to see the beauty of improv, uh, veterans who are at the same session who want to maintain their craft. So how do I run a successful session? Uh, some people I know more than others. Okay, well, what do I do? What are the things I can do? to uh, plan a class like this and make sure it's a success. And maybe the first thing that, that needs to be mentioned is setting expectations. I think that's absolutely uh, vital. When you're going to run your own session, setting expectations accordingly will do such a big... It plays the biggest role in in managing how people are going to experience the whole thing. Yeah, that's super important, especially when there's new people in a room. It instantly makes them feel at ease and it helps them to understand, okay, yeah, uh, I can I can be comfortable in the space. I can let my guard down and I can relax mm -hmm. because uh, this is going to be a place that allows me to be me and allows other people not to attack me and belittle me in any way mm. yeah yeah so yeah uh, what other things could we cover that have to do with this theme that you go in with and the idea that you're going to make sure everyone knows what to expect in the class or the session yeah well after the expectations comes the warm-up and that is something that i actually don't generally enjoy I understand 100% why it's important, particularly when there's new people in the room, because the warm-ups are often a chance for people to get to know each other, get to know the names of people. Um, even even if you're coming, starting to come to something regularly, you some people just aren't good with names, and you need that clarification at the start of a session. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what that person's name is. Um, but you, like, you didn't want to go up and ask, but all of a sudden it's in a game, and it's fine. Um, I love warm-ups myself, in contrast. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love... Uh, because sometimes I will enter a an, an improv session not knowing what's going on with my brain. There's a certain part of my brain that's been working all day and I need to kind of... I need to adjust it now to improv mode. Um, and that's just how my brain is built. So warm-ups for me are, are especially good. It just... It, it kind of depends where you're coming from in the day mm. because for me generally i'm coming to improv after a day in school i feel my entire day has been warming up 
<laughs> to the evening. Um, so when I get to the session, I feel my brain's already warmed up. I just want to jump straight in because I love the games and the silliness and, and the fun. And you can have all that in the warm-ups, but to me, it, it's never quite the same as actually jumping in with the games. That's when I love the laughter that comes from improv and that mostly for me comes from the scenes where I get to be silly or get to see other people be silly. And I just want to jump straight to that. But I 100% understand the importance of warm-ups. And when you're planning a session, you know, you think a lot about the warm-ups. You think, well, what are we trying to achieve in this session? What warm-ups will sort of warm up those particular improv muscles that we're hoping to flex today? And speaking of warm-ups, when I do plan the entire session, the warm-ups themselves are very specifically orientated towards that same theme that my entire session will be about. Case in point, if it's going to be about words and getting words out, then the warm-ups will be about just dusting, dusting the cobwebs and getting the wordiness out. Um, and, and they're not meant to be in a packaged... like they, they don't have to be... They don't have to come out packaged well... Um, what do they call them? Pancake scenes, for example, mm. for long form, where it doesn't have to be coherent or make sense. You're just, you're just kind of jump starting the whole system of wordplay and getting the phrases out, getting the terms out. Um, yeah, because improv is not made to be, it's not meant to come out all glossy and prepared and rehearsed. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite. Get get all that stuff out of you and um, get your articulating person out uh, by hook or by crook, like drag them out uh, out of your brain and get started. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes you kind of need to things go, you need things to go a little bit wrong so that, you know, if you are sort of approaching it from a teachery standpoint, you've actually got something. Oh, yeah, this is what, didn't quite work there and this is how you change it because sometimes you can overload um the start of something okay i'm gonna we're gonna do this game now and this is how you play that game and you go into this really long explanation this is how you play the game this character needs to do that 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 person needs to do that and sometimes you can lose people there um but often you know you will have someone that will have played the game or you will have played the game yourself so you Mm. can start it with someone and then when you're in the scene, even sometimes very experienced improvisers, I myself have been in this position when you're in a scene and for whatever reason, you've misunderstood. You, you thought, oh, I'm, I was playing this version of the game and then they've got a slightly different version of it or it just doesn't connect for whatever reason. And that's a good moment. A good facilitator mm. will will step in mm. and say, we'll sort of break it down you know why didn't that work what could have have been done different um without putting blame on people because the whole thing is a learning process and you know no one would learn anything if everyone was just stood around so i don't know i don't know it didn't seem to work i don't know well the brilliant thing you've just pointed out is probably the best teachers I've ever experienced as a participant in improv courses, whether they be online or in person, is the ones who can actually go with this person who's done something new with a rule that's not been followed 
technically in a game and they've they've followed that tangent with that participant and they've learned something new themselves and you can see them learn something new see how they navigate it with the participant and say oh yeah this happened because that happened and isn't it brilliant because a really good teacher will always find the innovation of a mistake i think a mistake to a very very seasoned um very uh, intuitive teacher is an opportunity at something even better or even more unexpected which is what makes it better for that moment and so while acknowledging the fact that they 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 moved away from a technical rule of a game and that's a reality improv has rules and each game has a rule obviously there are parameters and everything but sometimes there is there is a wonderful beauty about leaving that um as long as you acknowledge what's happened and then you you go over the 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 phenomenology of the quote-unquote mistake and see how it led to something amazing anyway to me if a if a teacher can do that they've they've got my they've got my utmost respect and my admiration yeah and i think if anyone is running an improv session i guess they're doing it because they love improv and Although that's a great thing, that's not necessarily always the best reason to do it, because some people will be better suited to just doing improv and not leading others in the same way. I come across this a lot in teaching, mm. and particularly high school teaching, and it's... uh maths teachers science teachers and you know i'm sorry if you're a maths or a science teacher you may be very well suited to teaching but there's there's certain subjects and it it can happen in any subject where someone is a specialist in something so someone might be a really good improviser they might have put hours and years of their life into studying the art of improv but they're not necessarily natural teachers and i come back to the the science and the maths thing because uh, you know, this is just my personal experience, but I have encountered lots of teachers and they do predominantly seem to teach subjects like maths and science where, yes, the people teaching are incredibly knowledgeable, but they cannot translate that knowledge in a way that people that don't instinctively get it can understand. And I think if anyone is going to go into running improv sessions, it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are. It all comes down to can you translate that to others in a way that makes sense? And can you translate that to a variety of people that need need it taught, uh, taught to them in different ways? Because loving having a love for improv is one thing, but for sessions to be successful, you know, the actual the actual facilitation and and how it's delivered is is crucial to cr- creating the in the environment that 
inevitably you're open to create. Well, certainly, because especially if the whole idea is to learn, then it doesn't matter how much person A knows, if the idea is that person B gets it too, uh, and it doesn't end there. Person B needs to, uh, person B's appetite needs to be whetted for the, whatever that subject is, whatever that knowledge is that needs to be gained. Uh, what's the point of, of showering people with details and information if they don't want to absorb it, if they don't want to accept it? There's just, there's just no point. There's a disconnect there. But, and I'm going to point out particularly a science teacher, a botanist, in fact, at the university. She she taught botany. And botany is not one of the more interesting topics, I'll tell you that. Not not to my pre-med uh, brain. Uh, it certainly wasn't one of the more interesting ones. However, the spark in her eyes when she would talk about the different kinds of ways leaves can grow out from a stem and the, way, the, the things that they are called... She was so enthusiastic that she got me all excited about the venation of leaves and the swirls of the, these things as they grow. And so I thought, yeah, if I wanted to, if I wanted to learn more about plants, uh, the plant kingdom, this is just the right person to do that because her enthusiasm for it translates, as you say, um, into her words and the way she wants to teach you chapter by chapter or uh, topic by topic in in this in this class that I had with her. So if teachers are like that, um, then whatever it is they teach will be absorbed. She sounds unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in improv it's the same, isn't it? Because because um the I I've I've been to a lot of classes where. It gets very cerebral. Uh, the terminologies are there, uh, I, but as a kinesthetic learner, I I need to know a little bit of that, and then a lot of it is application. So I really need to see it in action, and I I I thrive on, um, I thrive on spontaneity. And what do I what what really gets my attention in a class is the enthusiasm of the person spreading the news the the just the the wonderment when they when they teach it and then it it catches and then i i have it as well and that that's how i learn from the enthusiasm of the instructor also don't over intellectualize never assume that other people know what you're talking about so don't use terms and just assume that everyone's on board with what you're saying. Oh, acronyms. Yeah. Um, that's one of the big uh, things that really put off uh, new students um, across the board. You know, when they enter improv and then they're hit by this barrage of of terms and names and, and activities that are um, sort of, they're kind of dropped in the mix as if everybody knows what they mean. And it puts off a lot of people, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm, I'm not saying don't use the terms because they're the, they're often the actual mm. terms used, but just make sure once you're saying something like that, just explain it a little. Um, and that's in any teaching. Like I do that with the children. I always use words with the children that aren't currently in their vocabulary, but I don't shy away from using them because 
it's it's better that they hear them now. So I'll often say words and I'll think, oh, they won't know what that word is. I'll just explain it. And then they, they've heard it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of clock it and think, yeah, I've got to use that word a bit more. Or sometimes you can just see on their face. They're like, what is he talking about? So then I'll say it. And I, I remember I was with a group of improvisers a while back and they were talking about Harold and I was still quite new. I didn't know what a Harold was. And, and it's all, like, oh yeah, yeah, the Harold, the Harold, oh yeah, the, the, the Harold. They're all talking about the Harold. And then I sort of shyly just sort of said, um, could someone explain to me what the Harold actually is? Cause I hear it spoken about a lot, but I don't actually, don't actually know what it is. And not one of them could explain it to me. They'd all been there sort of happily. Oh yeah, yeah, Harold, Harold. Oh yeah, like, like they all knew what it was, but not one of them wanted to actually admit that they didn't know what it was. Um, so <laughs> don't be afraid to ask if you're in a class and something is said and you don't understand it. Don't be afraid to ask because you'll probably find whoever is running that session, they'll be delighted to tell you and they'll probably be kicking themselves that they hadn't already explained it. So it's, it's really good when a facilitator realizes, oh, yeah, that's something I can improve on for next time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do we add to that? That, that? That's pretty, that's a pretty strong case for um, a class, a session. Lastly, um, what do we do about difficult participants in a class? Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you do? That is. So it depends. It depends in what way they're difficult. You know, are they just really abusive? Oh well, that's uh, easier to do than yeah. because you know, right from the get go, if a facilitator follows everything to do with setting expectations, then that's been made clear from the very beginning, and therefore it is easier to implement when the moment actually happens that the space is threatened by aggressive behavior, intolerant yeah. uh, uh, points of view, etc. So that's handleable. The different difficult participants will be uh, people who will obviously, maybe they need a few more encouraging steps forward in terms of giving themselves up to the improv technique and understanding perhaps uh, people who really really think things through and therefore they've got analytical minds that have been geared at you know, just a very structured regimented idea of how an activity is run and if somebody leaves that if somebody uh, changes something uh, that that can throw off a lot of people with these kinds of of a structured um, approaches to any activity, so I think that that could be a participant that needs, you know, that needs a bit of what's the word for for how to how to help them pass that. Um, I'm not sure, but I guess you're saying you should always expect the unexpected. Just because you plan something out in your head doesn't mean you're not going to be throwing curveballs, and how you deal with those curveballs is important because if there is a particularly difficult person there. And the way you deal with it is not a good way, then that might put put others off from coming back. Mm, yeah, 
I think the main point, the main idea, though, is if they know that they can make mistakes and that there is no judgment, they will come back. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I think one of the hardest things perhaps for people getting into improv is understanding that they're not actually making mistakes, they're not doing it wrong. Like, you'll you'll see people, oh, oh I've done that bit wrong. Oh, I'm annoyed at myself. Um, but, you know. But if you make it from the very beginning clear that mistakes will be made and that it will be in some case, cases, applauded even. You know those activities where I made this boo-boo, yay, and everybody cheers. Yeah. Or this happened to me today and it was very embarrassing, yay. And it's like you're setting the mood for, all right, this is a space where mistakes are just, they're just like that. They're little mistakes. They're necessary to get from point A to point B. And life is like that anyway. So you create this microcosm of, yeah, deal with mistakes. Just, just get up. After the mistake, there's nothing to it. Everybody makes those mistakes and everybody understands that others will. And so it it takes away the powerful, you know, the powerful level of shame and embarrassment and humiliation that comes with like the post-mistake moment. And that's, that's another thing about improv I really love, that it actually desensitizes you to that shame moment that right after right after a mistake and if you are successful at creating that very space and make it clear to everybody in that space that that's the norm then chances are they will embrace that space they will come back to that space and they will want to know more yeah and sometimes scenes will just fall flat and they'll fall flat for various reasons and if you're running a session and two very experienced improvisers get up or, you know, a group of them get up and they do something and it just doesn't work in that moment. Sometimes you don't need to dwell on it because you'll understand, oh, yeah, they've kind of understood that that didn't work out. They're probably going to work it out in their head. We don't really need to dwell on it. We're just going to move on. Um, so that's something else in the, the tool belt. Yeah. Nourish the idea that you're all in it together. And that you're sharing an experience five minutes later, ten minutes later, when it's referred back to, the group will understand it as a memory shared by the whole group. And that in itself is already uh, like a pinpoint of time where you can bond over a memory of the group together. It's another thing about improv because it's so precious because you go through a million and one spontaneous moments that will never happen again you you sort of fast forward your identity as a group working together the bonds are very 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 strong after that or they they will tend to because you've got a shared memory now um and there's nothing more meaningful sometimes than experiencing a mistake together and getting past it if you're all aware that it's teamwork and that you all went through it together, then that just feeds the whole togetherness and belonging as a group. Well, there we go. That seems like a pretty good place for us to stop. Unfortunately, it wasn't the incredible, world-changing conversation that we'd recorded yesterday. The secret of life. <laughs>
Yeah. Um, but people are just going to have to take our word for that, aren't they? It's gone forever, like all the other improvised moments yeah. from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, thank you very much, uh, Seki. Uh, it's been wonderful to sit here and have this chat. Pleasure. Well, thank you so much to Seki for that conversation, a conversation that we actually had twice, but you just get to hear uh, a a little bit of the first one and a little bit of the second one. I hope you enjoyed it. Putting an improv session together, you know, you don't just throw them together. There is a lot that goes into it, and I hope that this gave you a little bit of insight into that. I know lots of people listening to this will have run sessions, and I know lots of people listening to this won't have run sessions, but they will have attended lots of sessions. Uh, So hopefully... Uh, just gives you a bit of an insight into what goes on sort of behind the scenes preparing these sessions making sure that you're catering for everyone and everyone's going to be having a great time Uh, next week and the following weeks it's not a a case of an episode every week from now on as I have said it's going to be every other week certainly for a while Um, but for the newer listeners it's just a great opportunity for you to go back and listen to all of the previous episodes that you've missed and for the listeners that always listen uh, you know there is still an opportunity for you to go back and listen to those episodes if you wish or just take a bit more time to think about what's been said in the latest episodes so over the coming weeks and months we do have some great guests coming your way we've got some returning guests we've got some brand new guests and we've got some more topic based episodes as well so lots to look forward to with this show don't forget to like subscribe give us a follow all of that jazz and just spread the word because whatever you do to help us with the show like that it it does make a difference maybe you're listening on apple or spotify write us a review give us a five-star review little things like that they just boost us on on various charts and things and, and it brings us up in people's algorithms if you go to our facebook page like the facebook page share our posts and engage with the show you know maybe you haven't been on the show yet maybe you want to come on the show you can contact me you can contact emma and we can make that happen maybe you've got some ideas for shows that perhaps you don't want to be on um but you'd like us to discuss it you can contact again contact me contact emma and you know we are keen to hear your ideas we're keen to talk to you find out what you're interested in and again if you're a new person to lci because i know there's lots of newer people and we've got some new guests coming up some of the newer bats that have been coming to sessions we want to get you on the show we want to hear your story how is improv affecting you how did you find your way to improv and of course if you're interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk you can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. I've already mentioned the Facebook page, but do go find us on Facebook. Just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast and you'll see um, all the trailers and all the links to new episodes that we post there, plus any other things that we might post out there. If you're interested in finding out more about me, then you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones. And my YouTube is full of all sorts of great stuff. So it would be great if you can go on there, check out some of my videos, maybe subscribe and and follow. Anything like that really will uh, be very much appreciated. 
the Oikas, I've got a gig coming up on the 20th of May. There aren't many tickets, um, but it is worth checking out the Oikas on Facebook if you are interested to see if there's any last-minute tickets available um, this coming Friday, the 20th. It's in Upton on the Wirral, and we're excited about getting out there and performing. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want to come and see some live improv, that would be great. Uh, check it out, see if there's any spare tickets left. And don't forget, the last Friday of every month, Boss Birds and Friends, is that's a really great gig. You know, the guests that they have coming on are always awesome, but Boss Birds himself are always top quality. So if you want a good night out, then Improv is where it's at, and LCI is bringing that entertainment to you. And that brings today's episode to a close. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much to Seki, especially for redoing the interview with me after our technical hitch that we had the first time uh, so thank you very much but before i go here are some words that are wise 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 always remember whatever the situation to treat life like improv and yes and <laughs>